Welcome to the podcast, The Stories of Modern Kazakh Prose. In this podcast, we will be retelling selected stories from 20th century Kazakh literature, which was born out of and transformed the unique oral traditions that historically preserved Kazakhstan's rich heritage of images, narratives, and poems. Contemporary authors from Jusebek Aymoutov and Magjan Zumabayev to Mukhtar Awezov and Anwar Alimjanov, have created prose that defines the modern Kazakh nation. With this podcast, we hope to open up their world to a wider audience. The Day the World Collapsed by Roland Sisimbayev Roland Sisimbayev, born October 11, 1946, in Simipalatinsk, is a prominent contemporary Kazakh writer, playwright, and translator. His novels and short stories have been published by some of the largest publishing houses and magazines worldwide. In addition to his literary activities, Sisimbayev is the founder of the Abai House in London, the Abai International Club, and the international literary magazine Amanat. He is the recipient of numerous international literary awards and is known for his masterful depiction of the effects of the Soviet nuclear test at Simei on the Kazakh people. In the following story, he shares his first-hand experience of hearing nuclear tests as a boy in Simipalatinsk. The day the world collapsed. Now Roland lives in the city. He often dreams of his father, he recalls the days when nuclear tests were going on in his homeland at the foot of the Chinggis Mountains. He still trembles from the underground explosions, feels the pain and suffering. They were told that it was done for the good of the people. In those days, in Simapalatinsk, the earth trembled, houses, window panes shattered. And once a young woman gave birth prematurely in one of the shepherd's yurts at the foot of Chingistau. She gave birth in pain and suffering. It seems that the fetus had felt the earth trembling. The child's face is disfigured. In the summer of 1953, trouble came to the people of Chingistau near Simipalatinsk. In a single hour, it came. The children, grazing goats and sheep behind the owl, heard something terrible. Screams, shouting, woman crying. Leaving the sheep and goats in the steppe, they rushed to the village. 
and there's something unimaginable was happening. People hugged, said goodbye, shouted, sobbed. Fuss, confusion, chaos, and the boys stood with their mouth open, completely unaware of what misfortune had so upset the inhabitants of our quiet, comfortable village. Maybe a war has begun? With the Americans or with some other imperialists? It dawned on one of us, and we began to eagerly look at the huge military vehicles and soldiers scurrying around everywhere, which seems to have sprouted from the ground. The boys boldly rushed to join the partisans. They did not yet understand the seriousness of the situation. The military appeared and said that there was no war, yet the evacuation began. Adults fearfully prepared for the move, while the little ones rejoiced at the changes, especially Roland. He wanted to move to the city. Mom and grandmother were tying bales. There was real chaos in the house. The villagers began to say that the bomb had superhuman strength and could wipe Chingistar off the face of the earth. The physics teacher said that this bomb was worse than the one that the Americans had used to destroy two Japanese cities. That one was atomic and this one hydrogen. Suddenly, a loudspeaker hanging on a pole in the center of the village came to life and asked all the villagers to gather at the village central office. Roland and his grandfather stood in the anxious crowd. The district officials came to the podium along with the military and Roland saw his father. He looked tired, his eyes red from insomnia, but he spoke confidently and calmly. In the evening, they were having dinner, and Roland understood from his father's short remarks that the residents would be evacuated to the city of Ayagos. Those who wished could even go as far as the regional center, Simipalatinsk. The old people were given permission to live with their cattle for the Chinggis Mountains. So that was why big military vehicles had come to the village? In the morning, the lieutenant, Connor, said that people should take only the most necessary things with them, barring their windows with bales of straw. He promised the residents that in a month they would all return home safely. Each family was giving 500 rubles. Roland decided to stay with his grandfather and go to the mountains. He and his grandfather set off on the journey. Behind the owl, other old men and old women, who were supposed to go with the cattle to the mountains, also gathered. Roland discovered that there were no other children, 
and then he noticed a little girl, Kinji, who was sitting on the cart with her grandmother. She smiled and Roland waved to her. Most likely, the grandfather internally understood the real treat. How else can one explain his outburst? They looked at each other point-blank, the tall, stately lieutenant corner and the round-shouldered but still powerful senior grandfather whose hand maintained a tight grip on the kamsha. Do you know, official man, what these people has endured? No, you don't know. You do not know that our land is the land of great and holy people. For centuries, we have lived in this steppe, roaming peacefully and offending no one. Here are our jalaus. Our wife was born here. He then became uncomfortable to the authorities. And for the mere mention of his name, we were exiled to Ijikin, Siberia. Then they shot Shakarim, our great poet and philosopher, with whom your Leo Tolstoy was friends. And again, as soon as a Kazakh spoke of Shakarim, he would immediately find himself in Siberia. The best people were dying in exile. So you came from Semipalatinsk. So our entire state from the Owl to Semipalatinsk was covered with human corpse hunger. Do you know what it is? Do you know how many died from famine? And then the war. How many she carried away? Then every second horseman on the other side fell. And look what the collective farmers eat. What do they get for their work day? Yes, we do not live, but we exist. Many have forgotten not only the taste of meat, but also the taste of bread. For each collective farm sheep, you can pay with your head. So tell me, official man, when will our people live? And will we live? You're persecuting us to death. Isn't that the right? The people listened in silence. People averted their eyes. They agreed with the old man, but they were frightened by his frankness and some of them began to back away, schooling their faces into absent expressions. Oh, we didn't see anything We don't know. We didn't hear. Where did they go? Stand and listen to the truth. Have you lost not only your mind, but also your honor? Although in modern times, honor, you see, is unbearably burden for many. But who will need you if you have neither honor nor conscience? Ah? Have you thought about this? People froze in shame. And then Roland's father intervened. He said that an order was an order. However, 
At the same time, he also avoided looking directly into his father's eyes. Roland realized that he was now thinking about what his grandfather's monologue would cost him. But he wanted his grandfather to tell the military men something else about our homeland. Roland thought that it was unlikely that the military men knew anything sensible about the Kazakhs. It was probably the first time he had seen Kazakhs. But then the lieutenant colonel went up to his grandfather and hugged him. I understand you, father. We've all suffered. We have suffered like no other people in the world. Along the way, Roland befriended Kinje. Once, they were told that everything would start soon. They ordered everyone to lie down. Kinje lay between Roland and her grandmother. Her tender face was haggard, her white eyes frozen with fear, her long eyelashes barely moving. His grandfather whispered a prayer. Her grandmother forcibly covered Roland's head. Suddenly, their leader shouted loudly, Attention, attention! Everyone lie down! Freeze! And the earth shook softly, as if it was the internal cradle cradling us. But the earth suddenly shuddered. With frantic shocks, it beat us from below, in the legs, in the chest, in the face. Grandmother's arms loosened, and the earth heaved, like a wild horse, steps, mountains, in the last attempt held still, so as not to perish. I saw looking out from under the felt mat that a huge mushroom filled the sky and fire-breathing flashes played with unimaginably violent influences of colors. Fear and surprise in a single moment fettered my soul. I had never experienced such a thing even in my worst dream. Mountains groaned, huge stones rolled down with the roar, trees creaked, bent, and another sound suddenly wove into the hellish sound, a disparate, ear-cutting squeal, a cry. I still don't know how to properly describe this terrible sound. A little girl in a white dress was running, dodging bouncing stones. I myself did not notice how I got out from under the felt mat and standing to my full height, stared numbly after her. The fiery mushroom rose heavily. Bright flashes blinded the eyes. The little girl ran away along the shaking ground to where no one knew. I froze as if it rooted to the spot. 
not understanding what I needed to do. Your scream hurt my ears. Or maybe that was no scream. Maybe I imagined she was screaming. Maybe she silently opened her mouth and ran not into the steppe, but into the mountains. And the stones shied away from her. She will die. She must be saved. We must run after her. Catch up with her. I thought I shouted. Kenji! 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 After the explosion, we lived in the Chinggis Mountains for another week and a half. Right there, on a high hill, they buried Kenji, the first innocent victim of the hydrogen bomb test at the test site near the city of Simipalatinsk. The city of Simi, Simipalatinsk, a hometown, dusty. From that day on, you became known all over the world. Simipalatinsk, Simi, Nevada, test site, atom, tests. Why Kurchatov, they say immediately after this explosion, exclaimed, This is monstrous. It should never be tested against humans. The military men disappeared just as suddenly as they had appeared. Three weeks later, people were allowed to return to the village. Everyone rejoiced at seeing their children grandchildren, relatives, and friends. Roland was relieved to once again see his brother, his sister, his mother, and of course his father, because he and the military had remained in thick of it. Roland and Kinja's grandmother went to the girl's grave. The grandmother said goodbye to her only granddaughter. Roland said goodbye to his first childhood love. As time passed, he met so many people and has already lost so many, but he will never forget the little, fragile girl, Kinji. The 5th of August, Father's Day, and August 5th. 25 years ago, 1963, in Moscow, representatives of the governments of the USSR, the USA, and Great Britain signed the Treaty of the Prohibition of Tests of Nuclear Weapons in the Atmosphere, in Outer Space and Underwater. More than 100 states have joined this treaty. It was an unusual anniversary, perhaps the largest memorable date of this year. An event on universal scale, a reminder of the day when a person felt like a man, not a murderer. This treaty was worthy of the people, and the people were worthy of the treaty. The terrible events associated with the Simopolitan's test site are reflected in Roland Sissenbaev's story, The Day the World Collapsed which is dedicated to the people of Nevada and Simipalatinsk. Through the eyes of the seven-years-old boy, the story conveys the 
the tragedy of the people and their homes, just opposing their suffering and pain with the suffering of nature. The catastrophe facing the inhabitants occurs in parallel with the catastrophe of nature being destroyed. A calamity of such scale is unmatched in human history. Sisimbayev's text is one of the rare instances of nuclear catastrophe being described by the Kazakh author. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please stay subscribed to us on your favorite podcast platforms. This podcast is produced by the Abai Center at the George Washington University and sponsored by J.C. Altin Almas. Author and writer Dina Sabirova. Narrator Madina Moldagali. Actor Elnor Bildanov. And engineer Eldar Kudaybergen. The executive producer of this podcast is Aitolkin Kurmanova.